Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. How are you doing there? It is David from the David McWilliams podcast. And this is a Staycast from Acast. We're all following the government's advice right now. We're staying in. It's a little bit cocooning, but it's all working So while you're staying at home, here's a recommendation of another great podcast. It's the Blind Boy podcast. He's an old mate. He's a great skin. He has extraordinarily interesting views of the world. Check it out. Hello there and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. I'm Andrew Musgrove. Today joined by Chris Woff and Mark Douglas and it is well the return of league football this this weekend, Chris. It's Thank down goodness. in Southampton, yes. Um it's a long journey down there, but uh, first and foremost we have just to get back in the swing of things. Yeah, I mean I know this is probably a well, I know a lot of people get frustrated by national breaks, but I just find them frustrating too because I have no real interest in national football as as, as minor an opinion as that might be. I imagine the masses probably are interested, it just doesn't really do anything for me and it's a, it's a bit of a frustrating period in that regard um, although it has been a rather interesting one on Tyneside as I'm sure we'll get on to um, and yeah it's, it'd be nice to see Newcastle back in action hopefully uh, getting a better result on the road than they maybe have done a couple of the, their away games the Swansea obviously did well but uh, disappointing last time they went quite a distance away to Brighton so hoping for a better performance and, that and, a, and a better result if possible and what will Benitez have been doing this week? Obviously, he's had a few players away, but how does he prepare with the players who have remained? Uh, well, he does, he does a variety of things. I mean, they have the sessions are a little bit lighter than they would be during uh, when you've got a small, short turnaround between games. Uh, the players, but the players will have been working specifically on a game plan for Southampton and beyond. They look a bit further on during the international break and think about games potentially coming up. Uh, the players who are there will have been working in the systems and on the set-piece drills and whatever they're working on for this weekend. Then the players also had a bit of a weekend off. Um, but he has also, I mean, me and Mark went and sat down with them for uh, last week. We were there for about two and a half hours at the training ground. Um, but he has, was just talking through various different things. And I mean, what he does during the national break is he sits down, he takes time to go and see the medical department, to see every other department and just, just assess what's going on. And uh, one area he is already looking at and is in contact with the scouting team is over January and, and potential uh, what Newcastle be potentially looking at. Fantastic. And Mark, I mean, what do you make of Southampton this season? Eight points so far. You're probably expecting a little, little bit better. Uh, no, I think they're a team in transition. They've had a few injuries this year. Um, uh, Rafa obviously knows Richard Pellegrino really, really well. Signed him for Liverpool. Um, and, and sort of seizing him a little bit of a kindred spirit in terms of his tactical know-how and how he sets teams up. And I think Rafa, you know, I think there's kind of maybe a bit of a perception that these are two sort of not straightforward games for Newcastle, but they're a bit easier than the previous games. But I don't think Rafa views Southampton like that because I think he knows that Pellegrino knows him well uh, and it'll be a kind of tactical battle of wills. I'm not sure whether uh, Newcastle will concede the number of games, uh, number of goals, sorry, that they have done in the last few 
weeks that they've played Southampton, the last few times they've played Southampton, sorry, when actually St Mary's has been a, a real kind of graveyard of reputations for Newcastle United over the last few years. Um, Pardew probably lost lost the, the away crowd there when they shipped four goals. Um, Carver's team took a, a paste in there as well. Uh, and even Benitez's efforts to keep Newcastle in the league were floundered at St Mary's. You know, I think you could see, uh, I think if you, anybody remembers there, that was when Daryl Yama broke his hand in the dressing room when maybe Jamal themselves came of age. So, I mean, it's, you know, I don't think that'll happen this time. I think it'll be a mark of how far they've come that Newcastle will probably keep it tight and, and they'll be hoping, you know, all three of the away games, all of the away games they've played so far have been really tight one way or the other. Uh, and I think that it'll be very similar on Sunday and it'll be maybe one or two goals in the game maximum and it'll just be how, how you know, whether Newcastle can kind of make it count this time because the margins have been so fine. They could have lost Southampton. They should have probably beaten... Um, well, I should have got something out of Brighton and definitely should have got something out of Huddersfield as well uh, even though they played poorly in two of those three games um, you know it has been that way away from home this season so probably a tight one but um, yeah I think we're all looking forward to football kind of Premier League coming back even though it's been a more interesting than average international break just because you know it's, it's come to a bit of a head uh, you know two years of international qualifying has come to a head we've actually seen some quite interesting results which is a, which is a, a positive not for England of course that's been incredibly good um, but uh, but yeah there you go but interesting obviously Benitez has got options he can he can change up from the last time around Chris do you think he will change it around or do you think he'll maintain the same uh, starting 11 same squad well the interesting thing about Benitez is that what he did particularly last season was after an international break the players who had remained on Tyneside and hadn't necessarily gone away tended to be uh, the priority in terms of playing in games. But it's slightly different this year in the sense that Newcastle haven't got as many games. So he isn't as necessarily concerned about the travel and whatnot. I mean, Atsu didn't start down at Swansea, partly because he'd been a with Ghana, but partly also because he's, he's got this, this ongoing knee injury which they're managing. So, um, but at, Atsu didn't go away over the last fortnight uh, neither did Matt Ritchie, so I expect both of them to be involved. Hosselu, I expect to continue up front. He's been on the side. Perez, the same. It's a midfield a bit. I mean, Marino's playing very well, scored again for Spain under 21s. I'd be surprised to see both Shelby and Marino playing midfield again, but at the same time, I said that before Liverpool, so with Rafa, you can never quite tell. But in that sense, I think this might be the opportunity you might see to potentially rest Marino. Uh, and then he can have in defensive midfield Hayden come back in alongside Shelby if there's going to be a change I probably expect it to be that one Yedlin you could argue that he could you'd have to see what type of place his head's in because USA have just been knocked out in the US uh, World Cup qualifiers first time they're going to miss out since 86 so I expect he'll be able to put it behind him though and you you would play him and then it's just who he plays on on the left defensive flank as well will it be Mankiw continuing away from home two full backs who are more prone to going forward maybe you might see Mbemba get another opportunity I'm not sure they're, they're the three positions I could pos- uh, three positions I could possibly see changing but I think the only real question mark is in defensive midfield and whether it's both Shelby and Marino or whether Hayden comes back in Mark I suppose the expectation is that Jocelyn will keep his place up front you had a nice interview with him this week mm-hmm. he seems to have really fallen in love with the, with the city and he's enjoying his time on Tyneside yeah and, and I think he's uh He's an interesting. He's an interesting sort of addition for Benitez because 
Um, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say he's the most, going to be the most prolific striker that Newcastle ever have, but he certainly subscribes to all, everything that Rafa needs from him. I think, you know, when we, we were talking earlier about going down to see Rafa this week, or earlier last week, sorry, and, um, you know, it was quite interesting because he did, Rafa went, you know, Rafa kind of goes on and off the record, so he gives you a little bit of insight into some things that have happened. Um, and and what, what was quite interesting was he did give us a few names, obviously we can't, we, we can't repeat, about players that he was looking at, um, two who everybody knows anyway, Tammy Abraham was obviously one. But he did say, you know, he did say in there that, that I don't think that any of the players that Newcastle were looking at over the summer were necessarily blow your socks off type players. Um, which was again was the, the kind of frustration he had, but Hossley was one of them that he was that, that they were looking at. They were tracking because they knew that he would give them what what they need. Um, and uh, you know, going to a bit of this kind of thing with areas and Perez of people, um, you know, kind of oh, I don't understand why Perez plays. Well, you know, everybody has a part to play in this in the kind of Benitez system, and Hossley has a big part to play. As long as they're picking up points, I mean, you know, he's got ten points from the first seven games, ninth in the league. I don't think you can really argue that Benitez isn't getting more out of a group of players who are quite, you know, average in some ways. You know, I think I think we said there were I think they had ten of the eleven, didn't they? Um, the the at the end of the game, who were in the championship last season, but they were playing above themselves, and that's because everybody knows their job. And you have to, in that means you have to bring in players with a lack of ego. You know, I know everybody um, would love it if Hatton and Arthur came back. Well, not everybody, but. There'd be a lot of people who would say, "Oh, fantastic! We'll get him back. He's mercurial. He's he's going to do this. He's going to do that." You know, like whatever you think of of what previous managers of Newcastle United have done, this is Rafa is doing something not amazingly dissimilar to what other previous managers have done at Newcastle, but yet he's doing it really well. Basically, is the difference, and, and nobody should complain about a lack of kind of um, you know this a lack of creativity when Newcastle are playing creating a lot of chances, but playing in a really disciplined way, which is what they've kind of been doing. is a massive part of that. And, and by the way, he scored two goals, had a lot of chances, probably could have had three or four. I think he's doing he's doing really, really well. And, and he is going to miss chances, but he could because he gets into the positions where he can actually have chances. You guys have had a lot of strikers down the years who... Uh, who haven't really had chances, and and you know this maybe their work rates work rates quite good, and you know they can score goals, but they, you know they convert the chances. People will talk about Mitrovic, but he's only got himself to blame. It's like we, we kind of talk. I've talked a little bit before. I think about you know John Joe Shelby being in the England setup. Well, these players have only got themselves to blame. They're given opportunities by Rafa, and then they don't take them. And Hosselu has been given opportunities by Rafa, and he's done everything that he's expected to do. So. I think he's going to continue for as long as um, he continues to do those things. He scored two in four, as I said. Probably should have been three because um, he was denied by that fantastic Fabianski save. But um, at the moment, I don't see why you would kind of argue and, and have a gripe against any player, even though I sometimes see you know Perez taking a bit of stick on on uh, on Twitter and uh, on social media, which you know I can kind of think is. You know, there's always got to be one player, hasn't there? There's always got to be one player who's, you know, people don't understand why they're in the team. With Rafa, he's the first manager where you kind of say, well, look, trust trust the manager there because there's a huge amount of um, evidence to suggest that he knows what he's doing. Just to pick up on the Perez point, I mean, even before I get on, I was going to say, I, I personally don't necessarily understand the criticism. What I've seen of Perez this year is a player who's really mature. And yes, possibly he isn't as... Um, 
dynamic as he once was in terms of going forward. Maybe there aren't as many of the, the tricks and flicks there used to be, but I actually think he's far more effective. He won a couple of very clever free kicks against Liverpool where he ran in between the lanes and he took it wide. And, and he's, he's added a bit of physicality to his game and what he is doing is being consistent in a specific role. But to pick up on what Mark said, what I don't understand about the criticism of Perez is it's not like Newcastle have number 10s queuing up to come into that role. Yeah, there is no who, 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 who are they going to bring in? Modi Army who can't play with his back turned against go, which is what you want from number 10 so he's not going to come into that position or not frequently anyway he wouldn't necessarily want it from the start of games he's not going to create anything Matt Ritchie possibly but that's not really his position he, I think he'd lose something out wide yeah, if he did he well, offers cover doing well as a winger isn't he Shelby and Marino neither of them are actually number 10 they work better in, in a deeper role you could possibly switch as you've got three in the middle but Rafa likes the system he's got it isn't, it isn't as if Newcastle have loads of players who can play that number 10 role and Perez, I think, for what Rafa's asking of him, Rafa seems very happy with what he's getting in that, and I, and I, I think the criticism is has been a, a bit unfair compared to what I think some other players. And this is with any club; it's not because it's not specific, but there are some players who can just seem to, no matter how they play, are going to get praised. After be honest, I thought Marino last week. I didn't think he was brilliant against uh, Liverpool. I actually thought he struggled for parts of the game. I think he's a brilliant player. And I think he will be a brilliant player. But everyone after the game, oh, Marino, how excellent was he against? Well, actually, I think if you look at it in terms of what he offered, I think he got caught out a couple of times. Um, now, I'm not saying Perez was brilliant by any stretch. I think Perez made mistakes as well. Uh, but it's got a, it, it's just, a, I think, he, as Mark says, there's always one player who seems to get picked out who's done it most of the time last year. It seems to yeah. be Perez at the moment. And it's, and I think, you know, it's, it's I mean, it's almost like, you know, it, the, the, this is one of the debates that you have around Newcastle at the moment. It just shows how good things are, really, because... Um, I don't think there's anybody in that team at the moment who's not kind of giving everything, and that and that is a, that is such a refreshing thing to say about Newcastle United. Look, you know, you said Marina didn't play that well. A lot of people saying Perez is playing well, not playing that well. But nobody is arguing that Perez isn't trying. No, definitely. Not. And we had probably the last time Newcastle went to Southampton, you had Sissoko, who was, I mean, actually he was, he was playing a little bit better towards the end of the season, but you know, he hadn't given his, he wasn't playing at a consistent level. You had Vijnaldum, I thought, who, you know, fantastically talented player, clever player, but at that point was definitely, you know, he just, his head, he, he, his head had gone. You know, you had others, I mean, Cissé was kind of in and out towards the end of the <laughs> end of his time. There were a lot of players that you could say, well, are they, you know, Jan Matt, I think he'd lost his focus. He'd, you know, he was kind of, you know, they'd all kind of, were looking for excuses not to play. I think that the good thing about this group is that they're all just, they all seem focused and even, you know, going into it, I'm sure we'll get, we'll, we'll get onto it, but this kind of like the bust up down the training ground, which is kind of billed as Newcastle in crisis. Well, look, it's not good when somebody breaks their hand because and it's not good when there's a, a fight on the training ground. But, you know, you will go up and down training grounds all over the country and, and it happen, you know, happens. It's happened in Newcastle plenty of times, let me tell you. But normally it comes from a place of, Factions in the dressing room not getting on with each other. It seems that the cells kind of challenged some of his other players as he as he does quite a lot to kind of give a little bit more. And you know they've got that kind of criticism, self criticism in the dressing room here and that. And you know it's a really it's a really good thing good thing to have because you know if they lose to Southampton, it won't be for want of putting everything in. And the moment that that does start to happen at Newcastle, I think you know Benitez will probably take those players out. Um, and, and they won't, they won't, they won't be around much longer. You can see, you can see. It's not like I mean, Rafa doesn't come out and criticise his players, but you can see from who's been involved and who hasn't been involved, who is putting it in at Newcastle United because there's one or two big names who were very important last season 
who haven't been, who haven't really had a sniff this year. Well, what does that tell you? You know, I mean, there's players, there's players who can't even get into the reserve team at the moment. Um, it's a very meritocratic kind of system that Newcastle have got. If you're not putting it in, you won't play. Um, and you know he won't be afraid to, to drop Marino if he doesn't feel that he's doing what he does. Marino could could get dropped because Shelby came in and played really really well um, last Saturday. I don't think he will drop Marino because I think you know the guy is in great form. Um, but I, you know you can see it. Lejeune, I think Rafa thinks Lejeune is his best defender, um, but he hasn't been he hasn't taken either Lascelles or Clark out of it because they didn't deserve to to come out of it. And you know I think that's such a positive culture at a football club where. There's not one player there who's too big for the eleven, um, and uh, and that's why I think you know you won't see a repeat. Saying famous last words, they'll probably get beaten five 0 now. But um, you know, I don't think you'll see a repeat of those kind of heavy defeats um, that Newcastle have kind of have come to mark Newcastle's kind of Premier League life. Well, I mean, the difference is, I mean, when Sosogo was playing awful before Benitez came in, and, and McLaren just wouldn't. Wouldn't drop them, and that, that's the same. That's the, the opposite of what's happening now. If a player isn't yeah. isn't playing well, doesn't seem to be given his all, there's no chance they would remain in the team. I mean, Benitez when he first came in was willing to drop Shelby, was willing to drop Wijnaldum. All this happened at the time. Now, unless you're giving your all, giving it 100 every single time you need it, and doing specifically what Benitez is asking you to do, then no matter who you are, you won't be in that team. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it it. it, it it is extremely healthy to see, and I think that is driving them all on to get better. I know we briefly mentioned Mitrovic and mentioned Clark. There. I mean, how much of a boost will this week have given to them? Obviously, the Republic of Ireland in the playoffs. Uh, Mitrovic got the assist for Serbia to get to Serbia through to uh, the World Cup in Russia. I mean, it's a perfect opportunity now for Mitrovic to, to maybe build on it. And if he keeps his head, there's no reason why he can't displace Joslu in the next few games. He certainly looked like he was enjoying a qualification with a run around with the flower. Well, certainly why not? Who would begrudge him that? And it was a good, it was a good assist actually. Um, yes, it's certainly a pos- you, you want all the players playing as well as they possibly can at every opportunity. And with any any boost you can have like that, Mitrovic knows that uh, if he really wants to excel next year at the World Cup, he needs to push himself into to the, the Newcastle United team so that he is playing as often as possible to get himself in the right form to excel there next year. I think he's got a lot of work to do to get back in the team. Uh, I, I can see him becoming second choice striker though. After if he manages to keep his head, um, Dwight Gale needs to find a bit of form. But you want you want every player playing as, as well as they possibly can because that'll push Hosslu on to play better and then bring someone else in. In terms of Kieran Clark, I think the last couple of games for Newcastle he hasn't really been the consistent Clark that we've seen over the last year um, with Lejeune possibly now. Uh, back fully fit and hopefully pushing for a place. Clark will probably be looking over his shoulder and thinking, "I need to, I need to get back in some sort of form here." But again, he's got the boost of, of, of going to the World Cup next year. Rob Elliott in the squad as well, and I just think it can only be a positive, which is why it was so disappointing with uh, Yedlin and, and the US because that for them was was rather embarrassing, and it, it, I think it will have a lasting effect on in terms of the US's national team. I hope it doesn't impact on on Yedlin individually, though. We'll go on to now the obviously the training ground buster, which you mentioned there briefly, Mark. I mean. It's it's quite I suppose refreshing in a way to see that that passion between the two players is there. It's obviously it'll probably stay on the, on the training ground. Pitch hands will be shaking and that'll be it. I mean, but it's it, it was a bit disappointing to see maybe the national headlines where they did club in crisis when like you say it does happen up and down the country. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I mean you know you can't. Uh, it, I mean it's not it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing that 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 kind of thing happens. You don't want to see 
people kind of going at each other like that, and obviously something was said that um, you know you don't you don't necessarily want to see that. But by the same token, you know Lascelles has made it kind of uh, has made a, a niche in the Newcastle squad by challenging his fellow professionals, and when he's playing well, you know that that's absolutely that's absolutely fine. I think you know it'll be interesting to see how Rafa plays. I'm sure we'll play it down. It, it, it doesn't, you know. I think the bigger problem is that somebody's got their arm, somebody's got their hand so broken, and uh, an important player's got their hand broken. But you know, I've seen it time and time and time again. I mean, Stephen Taylor and Andy Carroll got into a bust up, which was over kind of off-field issues. I remember during the promotion season, and you know, in the end, they were they were happy to kind of like you know, patch it up. I think Carroll played with their. Uh, you know, Carroll played with a cast in the um, Doncaster and scored. And these things happen on training grounds. You know, it, it's like any other kind of place of work. What what you what you sort of feel probably is that, that I think it only becomes a problem on a training ground when you've got three or four players um, who aren't <coughs> featuring and kind of get fed up, and you know that seeps into the rest of the team. I mean, when you speak about bad. Atmospheres and bad vibes in a training in a, on a training ground. It's more, I think, about players getting fed up and not feeling it, and the body language not being right, and players not being able to go to work in the right way, and showing the kind of focus that they should. And and that's been a consistent problem at Newcastle United not for for a long time. Alan Shearer said that you know he felt Newcastle United's training ground was a kind of like a, a basically a spa. Players would come in their flip flops and sort of sit in the sit in the um, you know in the kind of recovery. Uh, bays and stuff and just sit and it was almost like you know it was like a health club vibe I think at that at that time and I think I think that's kind of what Rafa came into as well he felt that it needed it needed a bit more focus McLaren tried he put up those signs and he saying you know with the kind of like what you were expected but that's it's the, the healthy part of the dressing room is not necessarily that everybody is best mates because that's just not going to happen you know you're not going to have every single player in there getting on with each other but you, but what you want is a kind of healthy, challenging environment where everybody feels like on the day, every training session they have to apply themselves properly because that's what Rafa believes in. And um, you know, he's, he's, I mean, I said we talked to him for for ages the other day, and it was it was fascinating, really. I mean, a lot of it, you know, a lot of it was kind of very technical stuff that you know, as a as a kind of. And if you're not a football man, you don't you necessarily, wouldn't necessarily understand that. I didn't necessarily understand. Well, he was taking us through. Um, there was one. There was one point where he was kind of he challenged uh, he challenged me to um, rearrange these water bottles uh, to, to defend a, a corner zonally, and I was just like, you know, don't you know? I'm, I'm paid to talk about it, not to, not to set it up. But he was kind of challenges challenges to, to kind of show, you know, this is what I do, this is what I do, and he, but he was saying that you know. Some of the training sessions that they have are like down to the nth degree. You know, it's about body movements in defensive situations. It's repositioning yourself to make sure that you shave off half a second of kind of like reaction time next time. And those are the kind of things that are really, you know, those are the things that fascinate him. Um, and and so when you kind of talk about a bust up on the training ground, well, ironically, we actually met him on the on the day that that had happened. And uh, he certainly didn't seem didn't seem unruffled. In fact, like um, you know, we, it, there wasn't any sign of any kind of like problems down there. You know, we saw all the players kind of file out, um, and there was certainly no there was certainly no kind of issues there. I, I'd be really surprised if it's anything if anything massive comes comes out of it. It, it just happens in you know it happens all the time. I think at, at training grounds, but um, 
but yeah, I think Rafa's, Rafa has built a kind of, you know, he, he wants players that want to learn and, that, and he recruits players that he feels are going to come in and want to get better. So um, they kind of call it a campus, don't they? they kind of, you know, that's, they, 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 he wants it to be a place of learning, come down, learn a little bit more. Um, it's like Yedlin, wasn't it? The quote in America where he said sometimes he thinks training can get a bit boring at Newcastle, but then you're like, you're, um, you get into the game and it's like everything's just slowed down in your head because you know where everybody's going and it's like, you know, make the film The Matrix. You guys are probably too, probably too <laughs> well, no, young no. to remember the, uh, the Matrix. Uh, but yeah, you know, it just so it slows down and you know, ah, yeah, he's going here, he's going there. Um, and, you know, it must be great to work with a manager like that who kind of gives you that information. Um, and so far it's working for Newcastle isn't it um, we're going to Benitez and the, the, the kind of meet on Friday but just on the cells Chris you know he's well known for speaking out it's how he kind of made his name first in Newcastle and the McLaren when he came out and said you know, it's not been good enough now he's captain he is very good when he speaks to me but do you think is there a bit where you maybe going to have to maybe reel it in a bit you know try and not maybe speak out as much or as, or as brutal because I mean if he has said what he's alleged to have said to the army it's not maybe the best practice for a captain or do you think that's just part and parcel that's just that's one of his maybe the way he is a captain possibly though I mean you can only that'll only work to a certain degree like just like any sort of manager who's got a dictatorial style will only work to, to a certain degree and he has to be managed correctly but at the same time what Rafa does like in, in his training sessions particularly during the international break when he was in the game for two weeks is he likes them to be competitive. He, there is no way you can fully replicate the competitive nature of a game, but you have to try to as much a degree as you can because he wants to then be able to to do the work on the training ground as much in a match scenario as he possibly can. Now, he, look, he doesn't want a fight to break out. He doesn't want players to be exchanging blows on the on the training ground. But my understanding is that at, at times in the past, certainly, he's actually asked Lascelles to try and up the intensity on the training ground. Now, sounds like the cells didn't necessarily go about that the correct way it didn't have the desired effect they didn't want certainly nobody wanted John Joe Shelby to have to play in a cast this weekend with a with a broken finger but yes I think he does have to manage it to a certain extent cells, but I also think that in general it's worked it's he's he is mature and he's not. He doesn't come out and criticise his team as he wants to before. And I think part of the reason for that is he doesn't feel the need to. I think there isn't the environment there was 18 months ago, so he doesn't need to come out and, and, and publicly criticise his teammates. But at the same time, I think that what every dressing room needs is someone, whether it be the captain or someone senior within it, who will go and challenge people and privately, preferably, preferably not lead to, to blows afterwards, but privately challenge them and say, "This is what we need. We need." To to keep improving, you need we need more from you, because then there's almost a self policing. And Benitez also likes that he's someone who will take control if necessary, but he also likes to to offer not honestly a bit more responsibility yeah. towards the players. And he has that in Jamal Lascelles and his leadership team. And, and I think I think it needs to be tempered, but at the same time, I, I don't think it's it's a huge problem. I'm hoping, uh, as, as I'm, um, and I predict that this is just a one off, and that, that they'll all learn from this that they'll have kissed and made up for, for want of a better term and, and that going forward I don't see this being a lingering issue Fingers crossed and I mean Mark obviously you guys met Benitez for quite a while the other day it was, it's, it's good that the manager takes the time out to do that because he didn't necessarily have to in the no. national break could have you know, gone hold himself could have just concentrated on the players but take the time to meet the media and to give a bit of an insight I mean it's you get you get what it's all what it's all about Yeah I mean it, it's uh, he, did a, he did a similar thing last year um, and I think 
the reason he does it is not necessarily. I mean, you know, I think he kind of enjoys talking football with, with anybody. But I think he, one of the reasons he does it, um, I said before, you know, we've kind of like um, written a few pieces where we've kind of, you know, built it as kind of the inside track and and, this, and the secrets of what Rafa's done. And actually, there's no secrets to what Rafa does because he tells you. He 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 says publicly um, what he did. I mean, when I wrote when I wrote the book, the um, I, I, it was going through every sort of you know I did loads of kind of going through every press conference he'd had, and he would tell you like literally he was just piecing together the, the little bits of what he'd said because he explained back in September what was going to happen in March, uh, April, May, what he thought would happen anyway because obviously it didn't quite go according to plan, but what what he thought was going to happen. And part of tell it talking to us is that he knows we will report it and people will get a bit of an insight into where he's going because, um, you know, he knows, he, he quoted to us, you know, he knows what the fans are saying. That's what's really interesting. So he goes, so he, he name-checked a couple of issues that we've, that we've kind of talked about on here before and a couple of issues that, you know, I know that fans talk about quite a lot, you know, like why isn't Bemba playing in the centre of defence? Why? You know why is Aoz playing um, so much? Why is why isn't Mitrovic playing those kind of things? Why do you play two up front? And um, he just explains himself, um, explains his thinking completely clearly, and you know sometimes at painstaking uh, length. You know, uh, which is great because it's not boring when you hear him talking about it. It's not boring. You know, it's it's really interesting. Um, but he does it for those reasons, I think, to get across why he's doing things because he knows that you know. We head, we head off, you know, he can sort of head off those kind of questions. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's great. It's great. And in a way, and I think, you know, Newcastle have to be praised, I think, for the way that they've kind of approached the, the media locally and nationally this year. You're seeing a lot more of the new players um, talking about their stories. You know, you're seeing these um, these little, little interviews that they're doing. The players are pretty good, actually, when you speak to them. Most of them are really have a lot of time for you but they, they kind of you know they open up a little bit about why they're here what's happening and stuff and, and I think that that just you know I remember we had the meeting with McLaren uh, before when he came in and he kind of got us all around in a circle and said well why, why do the media why do you guys in the media hate hate the people at Newcastle so much and he was like no no you've got to complete them we don't hate them we just get frustrated at the fact that you know look there's a lot of stories to be told at Newcastle United and if you restrict access to the players and to the manager, then you don't. You're not able to encourage a bond between the players and the supporters because the supporters see the players as very, um, you know, like very distant figures. They see them as players who come into the training ground um, in their really expensive cars, sign, you know, pl- do their training and leave and go back to their big mansions in in um, Darris Hall or whatever. Whereas you're seeing with these players, like I'm not saying that they have more expensive cars, I'm not saying that some of them might not have, you know, have kind of flashy tastes or whatever, but you can see Isaac Hayden goes to the food bank. Christian Atsu gave a brilliant interview to Simon Bird the other week in which he talks about going to um, going to find the man who kind of gave him the boots to put to, to play in that helped him get uh, get found and, and Atsu going back to Ghana and giving back to the community. Um, you know, Jocelyn talking about getting stopped in the streets, which is the thing I did the other week with him. You know, Matt Ritchie talking about living in a pub car park. Um, you know, Dwight Gales, he's not playing at the moment, but he, he's gone through like every, so many stages. Rob Elliott talking about, you know, getting on the metro to come in from Tynemouth and, you know, doing all these things and walking on the beach with his dogs and I'm going to live here after my career's finished. You know, those are the kind of things that, you know, yeah, it's good PR for Newcastle United, but it's also the kind of characters that they've got in the squad. And, um, you know, Rafa talks a lot, 
and he talks a lot because you know he feels that like he's got a lot he wants to say to the people in Newcastle you know and, and I this is Acast Recommends. Every week, we pick one of our favourite shows. And this is one we think you're going to love. Hello, I'm Jeff Lloyd, and I recently had a baby with Ed Miliband. A baby podcast, that is. It's a spin-off of our show, Reasons to be Cheerful. It's called Cheerful Book Club, and it's conversations with some of the best writers working in the world today. You'll really enjoy our chats with people like US broadcasting legend Rachel Maddow, literary giant Ian McEwan, and the big short and moneyball author Michael Lewis. Feed your brain with ideas from the Cheerful Book Club. You'll find us on the excellent Acast app or wherever else you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from Ireland and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. I think that the club have done really well to remember that and I think that is one of the reasons why they've been able to turn the tide a little bit after September because it was heading in a direction that was quite negative. But the team then put results together, which is why it feels a bit more positive. But the fact that the club, people at the club, maybe not Mike actually, but people at the club, some good people who work behind the scenes, have decided, you know, look, we are going to make this club a bit more open because the community, you know, like, for example, I'll tell you a little story here. Lee Charney has gone to the food bank to see how it works. No publicity, He's, there's been no stories about that. He didn't want any stories. He didn't want to be pictured doing it. Um, but Lee Charlie's gone down to see how it works because he wants. He wanted to see see how it worked. He wanted to see how the club could help. Um, you know, he's a busy man and a guy who's probably got a lot a lot of other stuff on his plate. But um, you know, those kind of things and knowing about those kind of things, letting you know us being able to sort of know the kind of caliber of people there is. I think it's really important to a football club, and I think a lot of Premier League football clubs are getting away from that. They're employing their own media teams to to run to run the kind of to, to control the agenda and that's fine you know that that's within their their remit but people don't you know we live in an, an era where people don't trust what comes from official sources so so it shows i think a kind of you know a, a, an honesty really about newcastle united about a lot of newcastle united not not all of it but about some of newcastle united sorry that they just fling their they will occasionally just fling their doors open and say look come down and speak to uh, whoever and, and Rafa will sort of take questions on anything you know um, he's pretty skillful at, an, at answering questions about like something so we asked him yeah we asked so we asked him you know are you are you, are you still happy in Newcastle United and he said he was happy but then he kind of couched it in a, he knew what we meant by that and he turned it into something else so he's very smart like that sometimes you talk for so long you forget what question you've asked me <laughs> 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 uh, but you know but I think that I think it's just a real positive and I think um, you know, and I, I would never, I would, I, I never feel like a football club should be should feel obliged to talk to you. I think there was a uh, there was a little bit of a kind of sense in the past that you know, the local papers should be given access. We, you know, you give us access because we are the local paper, and you should bow down to us and all that. And I, and, and and then it and then it got to where the football club was sort of pushing around the local papers a little bit. Um, and I think at Newcastle at the moment, and I say this with touch wood because you know, there's a, you know, you never know where the relationship's going to go next. But I think at the moment, there's maybe a kind of mutual um, understanding on behalf of the media and the club that actually, sometimes when you work together a little bit, and I think it's come from Rafa definitely, if you work together a little bit, you know, it, it does help because they don't duck the hard stories either. So if you go to them with stuff that doesn't reflect well on them, 
it's not like you know they're not threatening to ban you at the moment and they're not threatening to kind of chuck you out and stuff um, so I think that's I think that's a, a positive for us I don't, I don't know how much the fans really care about how easy they're making our jobs but I hope that the fans do appreciate that um, the communication that comes from the football club is miles better and it's not just them communicating on behalf of themselves and issuing statements which they used to do to say here's how the football club's going here's a statement deal with it we're not going to answer any other questions well I was just going to say that what Rafa also realises is particularly during a two week international break that we are the local media we have to write something and and if if there isn't something coming out of the club be it from him or someone else then we're going to write something else and and it, it almost create it can create to a certain extent a, a sort of vacuum in terms of information and and it, he wants to be able to keep the positivity going as long as he can and, and 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 if he brings us in to speak to us and be open it means that that the message continues it keeps everyone on side the fans remain well informed and he wants fans to be well informed as rightly they should be that's what I think some football clubs get wrong is this idea that we hide that from the you you'll see it on the weekend we hide all the information but no fans live and breathe their football club and he tries to to deliver what he can to them and I mean going down to speak to him being at a press conference of Rafa Benitez is fascinating enough but when you sit with him in his office for two and a bit hours and he's getting up and there was one point where he's trying to show us a clip on the computer and he couldn't the program wouldn't work on the computer and he's getting frustrated and then but then he, he he's still trying he's so visual in the way he talks that's what everyone always says if you ever meet him he's so visual he, he physically gets up out of his chair and he, he's showing you movements and he's he, he's showing you how where a player should be and he gets the the water bottles on the table and, and, and he shows you everything and he, he he lives and breathes football that's what he is he is essentially just mad about football and he wants to share that with supporters who he realises are the same and he realised it, it, it's not about controlling the message it's just making sure that there isn't some sort of vacuum that vacuum creates suspicion when there isn't when there isn't official communication be it via or if the it's also certain situations whereby things can quickly blow out of proportion uh, or out of all control if if a rumour comes out and then the club won't comment on it, the club won't give you a steer or the or people at the club aren't speaking and then these things can balloon and sometimes rightly so sometimes it is a big issue but in other situations it, go, it they lose control of it by trying to take control because they are so keen not to say anything on the record that they almost or even give you a steer on it that it creates issues and Newcastle have, have improved on that immeasurably and hopefully as Mark says Touchwood that continues and Rafa has a large part of that he realises the power of, of keeping the fans outside the fans are need to be well informed they deserve to be well informed and to a certain extent obviously you can't tell them everything you can't say these are the five players I'm trying to say in January because, or however, I'm not saying he's trying to five, sign five players in January. That was an example. Um, but you can't say he that. You can't a, he did have a list in, in his brown uh, leather folder of number 10 targets, didn't he? Yeah. Um, that he moved quickly enough so that nobody could sort of see it. Um, but yeah, that was. I don't know whether it was a list of alternative targets or there was a list of players that could play there, but there was about 13, but I could see like a lot of players on it. Um, and Newcastle haven't got 13 number 10 so I think we're one of Brown Fall is interesting he's got, the, he's got all the pictures of the media in there when he was trying to learn yeah. when he first came in and yeah there was not, I didn't see you've got your mug shots in yeah, yeah. 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 it's an old one it's an old one it's from, I think it's my old byline photo from about seven what, years it's, ago it's up at Halloween's yeah. just around the corner isn't it yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 We said, yeah but we, we sort of said to him like is there any uh, uh, what's, what's on that what's on that about the, the you know is it positives and negatives and he just sort of said 
for the journalist, it's only negatives. <laughs> like that. And it was like, all right, okay, Rob. But uh, yeah, no, he said it with a smile on his face. And um, what is the relationship like between between you guys? Uh, well, between us and, and Rafa. I mean, you guys obviously deal a lot more with them, but it does seem like there's a good a good kind of a uh, yeah, relationship. I don't, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think like you know, it's um, like you, it's not like it's a strange one because I think back in the day, managers would see journalists as kind of like either the enemy or a friend who could who would basically bail them out when things weren't going very well. Um, and, I, and I think a lot of journalists kind of resented that of that that old. I think it was definitely in a previous generation, and you know I'm sure that a lot of those kind of guys might might sort of say because I think journalists from a previous generation are very quick to tell you that this generation of journalists aren't as good as they were or didn't get the access. It's not the same as it was anymore. Actually, it's moved on quite a lot because what used to happen is they were they were a bit closer, I think, to players and managers and directors and things. But you were hamstrung by that because if you were too close to a manager, you couldn't. It, it, there was very much an idea of like, oh, well, you betray. You know, it was a betrayal if you then criticised who it was. Um, and we know that you know there were there were old. Um, there were. It was a case that old directors sometimes would would make a call to um, the Newcastle, the Newcastle, the, the sorry, the Evening Chronicles um, chief sports writer before they sacked a manager, and that wasn't too long ago. You know, I know for a fact that wasn't too long ago. And would you love to have that kind of access uh, and that kind of insight? Of course you would. But it also, I think, prevents you from criticising a little bit. And what the thing with Rafa that's quite like, that I think is quite refreshing is that he's not, you know, he's not trying to be your, your best friend. Mm-hmm. Um, but he is, but he is, you know, he's a, he's a nice guy anyway. And I think you can, you know, most people you meet him can see that. Um, but he doesn't mind necessarily... The criticism of stuff that, that that you might not agree with or whatever, um, but I think he, sometimes he's like a bit bewildered by some of the criticism of like you know, my teams aren't you know strong. He, he he is absolutely convinced that like most of the things that he does just make logical sense, and he doesn't understand why he would criticize them. But I think he gets on pretty well. He certainly like I think all you ever ask for in a relationship with you and a manager is respect, two way respect, so that he knows that we're not going to go for him over something that we wouldn't give him the chance to talk about. So if, you know, the team loses three games in a row and you feel like, you know, they're not playing attack enough, go to a press conference, ask him about it. He gets his reply in and then you maybe criticise it after that. And I think that's all that he asks for is this, you know, that that respect. And you can tell that he respects us because he reads a lot of what we do. But he also, there's the, the respect element of, you know, he knows our job is what our job entails because I think he does a lot of research on all kinds of things. So I think he knows what our job's about these days, um, and it's that respect thing. You know, I don't. You know, he. he we've had a lot of managers at, the, at Newcastle in the past who who have been really friendly and really good, um, but you know that only goes as far as when they when the team are winning and then and then they shut shut up shop and they don't want to talk to you anymore. And I think that you could see last year, I don't think Rafa's had any massive criticism since he came in because the, the team have won. The team have won a lot. Um, but it did start to go a little bit, you know, it started to get a little bit frayed, didn't it, towards the end of, um, towards the end of last season. And he never, he never at any point would, you know, it, it didn't feel like he was kind of frustrated with the way that the team were being covered. It was, it was very much a case of, um, you know, get on with it. Um, and, and, but I will answer the questions. I mean, I mentioned it in the book last year. He did the Q, he did the Q and A with us um, in the Easter break, wasn't it? After they lost the, they lost to a couple of teams in the Drew yeah, of Birmingham, did, yeah. and he initiated the idea of 
right, I want the top six or seven questions that the fans are asking. Put them down on paper, I'll go away, I'll have a real think about it, and email you the answers back, um, which he did about you know two day or two after he got them. Um, he had a real think about it, he wanted time to think about how he was gonna do it, um, and gave us them back. And I thought that that was a sign of a manager who sort of, I think was a bit more mature about the way his relationship with the fans and that's what I kind of liked about that. It's like a lot of people see the fans as a kind of necessary evil. They like them, they want them to be on side and stuff. But he sees it a little bit more like, you know, look, he kind of respects the knowledge of the supporters and of the journalists. He said to us the other day, um, when we asked him about the flag, he said, he said, yeah, you know, he said, I don't think it's just that we're winning. I think they, they have a bit of information about us. They know that we're working really hard. And I think he said, I think because Newcastle is a hardworking city, they respect that we're going to work really hard for this football club. We might not win enough games, but they know that there's nothing that we're going to leave. We're not going to, we're not going to, you know, we're going to down our shield if we if we lose, if we go down. Um, it will be, it will not be because we haven't worked hard enough or we haven't tried hard. Um, and you know, I'm not saying that other managers didn't try hard, but they certainly, I don't think, I think some of them let themselves down. Previous Newcastle managers let themselves down by diluting their own kind of thoughts, processes, because they were so desperate to hold on to their job that they were, you know, they wouldn't challenge some of the things that they saw at Newcastle United. And, and you know, they lost the respect to the supporters because of it. Rafa's got the respect because because he because he's not afraid of kind of confronting them. And the relation, I mean, the relationship between us and Rafa is very much, it's, it's, it's a professional relationship, but one whereby, I mean, he's just, as Mark said, he's just generally a nice bloke, but he, it's, a, it's a professional relationship, but one that works so well because he realises that when in terms of going on and off the record, he realises if he just refuses to answer something or won't speak about, if, if him or the club won't speak about something off the record, then as I said before, you, you, the steer could be, it could be an incorrect thing. You, you can clarify a lot of information and prevent rumours escalating quite quickly by just saying, no, there isn't any truth in that. So Castle get linked to a £15 million move for a striker, which was never likely to happen in the summer anyway. But, if he just says no, there's no interest there, then straight away that's the story killed. No one's going to write the story, and it, it, it's it's he doesn't lie to you, but but this so he won't he won't say it if they aren't interested. But he won't say no, we, we are, or or the other way around. But at the same time, he realizes the need to to have clarity in in those situations, and it it it's in everyone's interest. It, it's not it's in it's in ours, but it's also in his interest and the club's interest. You don't want false information out there if you can nip it in the bud straight away. Um, and and then on the record, he is he is usually quite good as well. I mean, some of his answers are sometimes, he, as Mark says, he's quite good at at not necessarily answering the question directly as you would necessarily want. But he still manages to give what are reasonable answers yeah. in, in, in the extent that you can still relate it back to the question. It may not necessarily be what you'd expected or wanted to hear, but it is it can be justified as, as an answer to the vast majority of questions. He'd make a good politician if he wasn't a uh, if he wasn't a manager. But that's. Part of the manager's job is being he is a, a good politician. Bit, is being a, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. He's being a bit political and recognizing when to pick a fight and when not to pick a fight. And I think that it's been really interesting to the way that he has approached things since the transfer window because that disappointment was was live after the transfer window. But um, the piece I think that was written, uh, a few pieces that were written about you know, oh well, Rafa is now actively seeking a way out of Newcastle United was one of the pieces. He will entertain all offers from Newcastle United. Now, you know, sit down with him. That is not his. Uh, that is not his view at all. Um, you know, 
I just did, I just never thought that he would be seeking a way out. But when you sit down with him, it, it's just that's not his character. Like, would he would he will he leave Newcastle United if he doesn't if he keeps getting mugged off? I just said yes, possibly. But um, you know, I, I think if it was up to him, he'd probably speak to every single one of the fifty-two thousand people who, or forty-eight or whatever is without the away fans. He'd probably speak to every single one of them, give them all two hours of his time if he had, if there was enough hours in the day, because that seems to be what he's kind of like. He's quite a funny guy as well. Because it, it, was it you that we took? You had a work experience uh, person with you, and he made the joke that he was learning from you. Then yeah, he's not going to get, so get very far. Yeah, no, he is. He's, <laughs> this is what I mean. He's just a nice. He is exactly. There was a there was a guy I spoke with the Anfield rap the other week when I was doing a, a preview towards the Liverpool game and find out exactly why he still had this deep connection with Liverpool. And he said that that Rafa came on the Anfield rap and that when he was on, it, it was it was fascinating. See, because I was just after he left Liverpool. It was a few weeks after he left Liverpool, a few months. And when he's on the radio, he's in Rafa Benitez manager mode, and he's he's he's, he's fascinating in that sense. But it's it's all very it's not media trained, but it's all he knows exactly what impression he wants to give across. And you see that when you see him on the camera as well. And he said as soon as you turn it, as soon as the camera went off, he went from being Rafa Benitez the manager to Rafa Benitez great bloke was the exact quote he gave. And it, it's true, he's yeah. just a nice bloke, and he is. He's funny. He's articulate. Um, he has a joke with you. He, he, he asks about people's families. He asks about what's going on in certain situations. He's just a gen. He just is a, just a generally a nice bloke, and 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 that that helps. I mean, a lot of managers. Steve McLaren was a nice bloke as well. Don't get me wrong. Steve McLaren was, was very personal to you. Obviously, Chris Hutton was a brilliant mm-hmm. bloke too. With it's not it's not necessarily that he's he's unique in that regard, but it just adds to the character of him. And I think it does endear him even more to to support us and. And whatnot. Fantastic. And just briefly, obviously, last week saw the whole the kind of takeover news. Yeah. I mean, are we at the same point? Disclosure agreements have been signed, and we're just waiting for the next kind of round yeah. of information to, to come out. Yeah. So, I mean, as far as I'm aware at the moment, from from sort of talking, there's not been any um, further talks with Amanda Stavely at the moment, which was obviously a big, a uh, big one. I think that there's been some some questions, some some sort of talk about that as well. Obviously. Um, you know the HR, the HRM, you know the Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs, sorry, um, investigation looms over the club, and 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 I think that probably has a bit of a kind of dampening effect on you know when you're doing due diligence of the football club, you have to be aware of that. That say um, that that's looming in the horizon. We can't say too much on that because it's um, it's still ongoing at the moment, but it, you know I think the takeover thing is definitely you know it's not a it's not a case of there's nothing going on. It's a case of these 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 processes sometimes take, you know, weeks, months, or like days, weeks, um, and even months. And and you know you've got lawyers involved. You've got, yeah, you know, you've got people in there. And Newcastle want to be sure that they're you know these people are serious. And because there's three groups, I think, or three or four groups that have signed non-disclosure agreements. You know, they they can't say anything on or off the record. Because if they're shown to, then you know they're, they're liable to have breached those, and, and Newcastle can take can take action if they want to. So I think you know you're probably not going to hear much from those those groups unless something you know something really big happens. Um, Stavely, I still wouldn't write it off. I still wouldn't write it off because I, I, you know the noises that I was hearing from that were that you know there was genuinely a, a, you know a, a willingness to explore what could happen with Newcastle, um, and you kind of heard these little. These little snippets from her, from people kind of connected to her, that you know she was really pleased and, and, and impressed with Newcastle United. But I still think that she probably wants Newcastle, wants Liverpool. Yeah. And but Liverpool, then you know the, the story of the weekend, right? John Richardson, who's um, 
knows his stuff, uh, you know, really well-connected guy, said Liverpool won one billion pounds, um, which, you know, kind of puts Newcastle's 350 million or whatever uh, in real perspective, because that, you know, well, it was 400, wasn't it? I think the Newcastle are, are looking for, you know, would you take a chance for Newcastle and go for 400 million? I think there's a lot of people out there who would um, if they had the money, but just, that's still a lot of money. Um, but I don't think anything concrete, so in a short answer is nothing massively concrete has happened in the last couple of weeks. We continue to make the calls and I know a lot of people will say, oh, it was, you know, it wasn't nothing what happened the other week, but um, in terms of actual concrete progress, nothing at the moment. But yeah, the happens? irony of the situation that the groups are doing due diligence uh, when Mike Ash himself did not do it in the first place yeah. on taking the club, so that's the area of the situation at the moment. But that can in itself be a long-winded process. Definitely. But what happens if, come January, there isn't um, there isn't new owner and nothing looks on the horizon? Because it was reported earlier this week that Mike Ashley does not want to spend any money in January, whereas obviously Benitez will have his targets. He will have the want to to hopefully spend some cash. Well, it was again. It was it was in the it was in the Times. It was in the uh, Matt Hughes has been having a few uh, pieces. He's clearly been. Seems to have been briefed by by someone on any he's drip feeding different bits. So I mean, my understanding on the situation is that there is money to spend. I'm not saying it's substantial, but Rafa understands that there is money to spend. He's been speaking to his uh, scouting department, particularly to uh, to, to Nixon, obviously who's who's his uh, who's head of recruitment, and that they're already looking at January targets. Now, I think that Rafa won't necessarily be confident ahead of January that things will go according to plan because the, he was he hoped they would go according to plan in last January and in the summer and they didn't. So, by he believes he was that promises weren't kept or delivered in that, that situation. So he will he believes that and has been told there is a certain pot of money to spend. I think he sees the he believes he can add two or three players to that squad. Not, I'm not. As I say, I don't ex- expect it to be big money signings, but ones who will bolster the squad. He wants a left back. He wants a number ten uh, striker potentially. Although I think in terms of the money they're looking at, it would probably need Gale or Mitrovic to leave before that happens. It's the goalkeeper still on the rise as well, and so he he you have to work, and Newcastle have to work on the prize. They're going to have to keep improving, and that's what Benitez wants. Benitez wants every window to be adding a little bit to the squad. So he's working very much on that proviso and yeah, Ashley might not be willing to spend any more money but Benitez still believes he has a money in the in the bank from, from what was agreed when he met with Meg Ashley in May so in theory that shouldn't put anything to pay. I think, I think the, the story, to be fair in it, I think what I was trying to argue was that Ashley won't put any more money in but there is meant to be money there already. Fingers crossed. Um, before we go into predictions for Sunday, uh, obviously England played this week, lots to talk about, lack of creativity in one day and that popped up and I know Mark doesn't really agree with the opinions of Chris Waddle or even Sean McCormick sitting on a sports desk over there um, John Joe Shelby should he be in the England squad if he keeps his head down can he get in the England squad Mark I think he's got it, I think he's got it all on to get into the England squad because he got sent off in the first game of the Premier League season he's been playing championship football um, for the best part of the season played championship football very well um, but he, you know, John Just Shelby kind of created his own problems by getting sent off on the opening day of the season. And I know that might not be what Newcastle fans want to hear, and it's definitely not what, what Shelby himself probably wants to hear at this point at this point in time. But to get into the England squad, um, you know, you, you need to they they need to be you need to put really I think potentially a consistent run of 
games together if you have the questions of your discipline that Shelby has. So people have said, oh, how did Harry Winks get in the team? How did Harry Winks get in the team? Gareth Southgate knows Harry Winks from the under-21s and obviously he's playing for a team in Tottenham where it's probably harder to get into the team. Um, and, you know, is Shelby a better player than Winks? You know, at this stage of his career, probably he is, yeah. But by the same token, Newcastle, uh, sorry, England will kind of think, well, can, can Shelby, you know, can we trust Shelby not to get wound up by somebody in, in, in an opening game? And the way that Shelby plays, he's kind of Newcastle's quarterback. He gets a lot of time. They, they formulate a midfield around him. You know, that Rafa changed things in the Liverpool game to make sure that Shelby and Marino could play together. And with Shelby enough of a world-class talent for England to change the way that they play. Now, I would like to see him in a, in a squad. I'd like to see him... I'd, per, personally, I think that Jordan Henderson's, you know, um, sell-by day in international football has probably come and gone. I think at one point he was threatening to be a really complete midfielder. But what I've seen of him in, in an England shirt now is that he's not effective enough. They don't play enough passes forward. When Adam Lallana comes back into the England squad, uh, England side, because he's been injured for for a while, when he comes back to the England side, they'll look like a different team. Um, the midfield, I think, is is a big problem for England at the moment. But he, he seems to really like Jordan Henderson. But Jordan Henderson doesn't get booked, doesn't get sent off. So by that token, it's going to be difficult for Shelby. It's too early. I mean, I know there was howls of kind of presence. It's way, it was way too early in this squad to be talking about John Joe Shelby. So he's started two games for Newcastle this season so far. Um, one where he got sent off and then admittedly he was excellent against Liverpool uh, but he needs to put a run of those games together and I think the same is probably true of the cells you know the standard England is the standard with England is you're either so outstanding that you force their hand or you've been in the system for a lot of years so the under 21s is that's why it's important to get into the under 21s because they see you they see you in and out day in day out they assess your kind of mentality and your temperament and then they pick you. Maybe that's the reason England don't do as well in tournaments as they should do because they are a little bit conservative and a little bit safety first with who they pick. They don't always pick on form. Um, you know, there's been plenty of Newcastle players down the years who've been in really good form and not got picked. Um, and then they go for players from the under-21s who are, you know, playing really well. I think actually if Jacob Murphy incidentally came in and had a really good run of games... Um, he'd be more likely. He'd be likely to get into the squad because they know him, and that's the top and bottom of it. Shelby, unfortunately, has built himself a reputation, maybe a little bit unfairly, because I think he does get, you know, he is somebody who gets wound up. Teams know that they can, they can have a go at him. Um, you know, people will probably listen to this and say, well, what about Deli Ali? Because he's got hair trigger temper as well. But Deli Ali's been playing consistently in a top four team for two years now, and that's why he's in the squad. And Shelby's not. Shelby's got the talent to do it. I think Wadwell was right in saying that he's probably the, one of the best passers of the ball, uh, long-range passers of the ball in the English, in the English, uh, who's eligible to play for England at the moment. Um, but he just needs that run. You know, he needs that run of games. Um, it's the similar thing to Mitrovic getting into the England, getting into the Newcastle team. Sorry, Rafa's attitude is once bitten, twice shy with with Mitrovic, and I think that'll be England with Chelsea. He's got to force his hand. Um, but if he plays the way he did against Liverpool, then he's got a chance. Interesting, Deli Ali comparison. Obviously, Deli Ali was the 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 victim I see in with you know little quotation marks there against Spurs that Chelsea got set off for, and they do have similar temperaments. But Deli Ali seems to have controlled that. He seems to make it work to his benefit. But when he first started, he was getting. I don't know if he necessarily has worked to his benefit. I'm still skeptical about the the whole 
flipping of his, his fingers in the England team, I still think he got off extremely lightly <laughs> yes. there because I still don't believe the excuse that he came up with. And I'm amazed that anyone did. But he has control a little bit better. I think, I think Mark is correct in the sense that he's playing for Tottenham. He's played very, very well over the last few years. He's been arguably in the top five or six players in England. I don't mean English players, I mean in England over the last year or so. Yes, he hasn't necessarily started the season in electric form, but I think he's a different level of talent. I don't, dis- I don't agree with Mark necessarily about Shelby not being in the squad. I think personally he could be. Um, I can see what I can see Mark's argument, and I do believe that temperament is working against Shelby. But at the same time, I think that I think that that, that it is conservatism that letting letting them down so much. The French national team, the Spanish national team, a lot of other Brazil are not Germany will look beyond just the players who are playing particularly in the top four or who have come through the system and been there before. They look at other teams, supposedly unfashionable teams, and if a player's playing well, if a player fits into whatever they're trying to do, they'll call them up. Shelby, I mean, I have to be honest, I don't watch that much of England, and I've said I don't have much interest in national football, so I don't know I don't know exactly how the midfield works, but uh, Not if, very well. if, you need oh. someone, if you need someone to pass the ball forward, you, you're going to find few better than John Joe Shelby, and, and I, I genuinely believe that if Shelby was at... Uh, certainly one of the top four clubs well top six probably or even if he was at West Ham or Everton he would be in the England squad regardless of how much he was playing I believe he'd be in the England squad and I think that that is wrong I think that if there were other options who you see are playing consistently better than him yes I know he hasn't played that, that much so far this season but in terms of what they know he's capable of I think he would he would be in the squad if he was at one of those teams, and I think that's wrong. And I think England need to really reassess what they're doing in terms of selection. They need to be far less conservative. They need to be far less reliant on players who don't play that often for the so-called bigger clubs. And they need to look and try to play it to their own strengths and try to, to find their own best players. And I think the part of the problem with the England team is that players don't believe if they're playing for a team outside the top six, they have a genuine, realistic chance of playing regularly in the England first team unless there are serious injuries or unless it's a position which there is very little depth. Fantastic and we'll now go to the predictions for Sunday so we'll start with you Mark you're not allowed to start on the fence you actually have to give a prediction score prediction uh, Newcastle 1-0 1-0 yeah and Chris I want 1s each I don't think as, as Mark said I don't see being high scoring but um, I think 1s each certainly compared to Newcastle's recent history at St Mary's would be a a massive leap forward to be honest mm. I think it'd be I think it'd be a very positive result well, interesting they haven't got the best record against them in general can you name the last time Newcastle beat Southampton just in, in general not necessarily well I don't think they've beaten Southampton since, since Southampton got promoted again have they yeah 2013 3-2 4-2 close enough do you know yeah. what day it was it was the First week of February, I believe. I mean, there was a certain theme at St James Park that day. Oh, it was French. It was it France French Day. Yeah, French yeah. Day wasn't I remember the day well because Bradford City were in oh, the yeah, League Cup final that day. So I actually didn't work it. I think everyone just fall asleep. Yeah. <laughs> they did <laughs> the second half because we were falling down. Fantastic. I had to get Bradford in to the podcast. You know, it's always going to happen. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. I'll just also point you in the direction of a special podcast with Gavin Peacock. Um, that we did earlier this week talks about you know Jim Smith, Kevin Keegan, and um, that relegation battle to promotion season. It's over on our um, usual podcast channel. So thank you very much for joining us, and we'll be back next week. This is Acast recommends. Every week we pick one of our favourite shows. 
And this is one we think you're going to love. Hello, I'm Jeff Lloyd, and I recently had a baby with Ed Miliband. A baby podcast, that is. It's a spin-off of our show, Reasons to be Cheerful. It's called Cheerful Book Club, and it's conversations with some of the best writers working in the world today. You'll really enjoy our chats with people like US broadcasting legend Rachel Maddow, literary giant Ian McEwan, and the big, short and moneyball author Michael Lewis. Feed your brain with ideas from the Cheerful Book Club. You'll find us on the excellent Acast app or wherever else you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from Ireland and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts.